City on the edge. City on the edge. City on the edge. City on the edge. Welcome back to the City on the Edge podcast, the podcast where we tell Albuquerque and New Mexico stories. I'm Ty Bannerman. I'm Mike Smith. And uh, joining us today is... Hi, I'm Regis. Regis Locker. <laughs> That's Regis. Regis was on the show a long time ago. Um, super fans of the podcast might remember our... Uh, our Track of the Moon Beast episode where we discussed the, the horrible movie um, Track of the Moon Beast and, uh, and Regis actually joined us for that one. Yeah, that's right. And we talked about how viciously bad it is. <laughs> oh, yes. On so many levels. Right, right. So, uh, I have a soft spot for it. I, yeah, I've got a soft spot for it, but it's not a good movie. But uh, we have, uh, we've brought uh, Regis uh, back for this episode and he's going to be talking about some some off-limits places in New Mexico, uh, places that we're expressly not supposed to go. Yeah, thanks, Ty. Um, I want to talk about places you can't go in New Mexico. So what does it mean when your journey fails? What does it mean when your road trip never reaches its destination? I've been asking these questions myself for a while, and, and I kind of think the answer has to do with New Mexico. A few summers ago, I got into a rental car and I drove the four hours south from Albuquerque towards Sacramento Peak to visit the Sunspot Solar Observatory. After turning off the highway, we took a windy, forested mountain road that was studded with signposts marking the location of the planets from the sun in proportion from their distance from the observatory itself. The observatory campus felt halfway between a summer camp and an old community college. There were graying white clapboard buildings, some clearly related to the observatory's instruments, others clearly dormitories or offices. But we were not there to see the observatory. We were there to see what the observatory held, the DUN, the DUN Solar Telescope, a 136-foot-tall shard of metal and white paint that juts from the edge of the mountain like a stiletto made of light. It's a pyramid with its tip shorn off. Sunlight goes through that hole, and it separates and falls through this pyramid down the 136 feet of it that is above ground, then down another 193 feet to create a single, uniquely powerful image of our sun. We really hoped to see this amazing structure, and perhaps tour it. But what we found was that it was completely shut down. Every building was locked. Every parking lot was abandoned. Paper signs taped to the doors told us that the place was closed without offering a single word of rationale. Our minds raced. We walked, half dejected, to the telescope itself, our awe at the pyramid tempered by the sudden and explicable barrier. We peeked through doorways and walked through on silent metal grills. Our minds raced. We scoured the internet for news. At first, there was nothing, but later there would be rumors of aliens, of hackers, of black ops, of Russians. And we left with no answers. The whimsically signed roads, each named after a different solar body, said goodbye to us, just as they had greeted us. And continued closure followed. There was a news blackout, or so it seemed, and constant speculation. 
11 days went by before anyone could visit the Dunn telescope again. During that time, I don't think I thought of much else. The truth of the closure was much more prosaic. It was much uglier than we had hoped or thought. A uh, janitor at the observatory had been using their computer network for child pornography, and his erratic behavior once the observatory began investigating him prompted an evacuation. That resolution was, in retrospect, unsatisfying. It's a stupid reason to a mystery that was for a while truly open-ended. But, you know, the rationale falls away. The reality of the doubt that I experienced when finding this place closed still hasn't really left me. Atop a mountain, trying to visit a place to perceive one mystery blocked by another mystery. That's part of what makes New Mexico fascinating, the places you can't get to. Not haunted houses, not ghost towers, unreachable destinations, places that are more akin to Shangri-La or paradise than someplace on Earth. Since that day near Sacramento Peak, I've been thinking about the places I can't get to in New Mexico, and I want to share a few of them with you, and maybe in the process, share some of the answers I've come to as well. Okay, well, let's uh, maybe talk about the Dunn Observatory real quick here. Sure. Because I remember when that took place. Do you remember that, Mike? You got to turn on your mic. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so um, I I pulled up a... uh, it, an article from that time. Uh-huh. So this is on a CNET, um, September, September 12th, 2018, which surprisingly recent. I, I thought yeah. it was longer ago. Mysterious observatory evacuation stirs alien conspiracy theories. The FBI <laughs> showed up and evacuated the remote sunspot solar observatory in southern New Mexico. Almost a week later, no one knows why. So this was this was like the tone of all the articles that were about this uh, this observatory at that point, and if you went on you know Reddit or any number of like internet discussion forums, it was uh, there was talk about obviously aliens, but also like released bio agents and all sorts of all sorts of things. So <laughs> I I love that you were right there when that <laughs> happened. Yeah, and 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 when we talk about the media aspect of it, we we got to watch it unfold. Right. right. It was closed the day we got there. And I, I think we were probably there within hours of its closing. Wow. And so there was nothing until that night. There was a, a small article in the Sacramento Peak local community paper. Did you, were you staying down there? Uh, we were on a road trip through there. And okay. I think we probably um, ended up staying near there. All right. Mm-hmm. What, was there like, were you talking to people about it? At I, all, I, I don't remember us talking to anyone about mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and it just came down to this kind of sucky domestic situation. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but still, the FBI was involved, which is nuts. Yeah, and and I think I, I encourage anyone listening to this to visit this place, and or, or if you don't have that uh, desire. Have a look at the picture of this thing, and and you'll understand what mystery we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, well, shall we continue? So I could walk to the next place I want to talk about from my apartment, theoretically, if Kirtland Air Force Base would let me on base. This is Atlas 1, capital A, capital T, capital L, capital A, capital S-1. It's also called Trestle, which is a very strange and very large building nestled into a circular arroyo that's about four times the size of Isotopes Park. It's a giant latticework structure, 
holding up an enormous flat landing surface suspended in the space above this arroyo. It is, as its nickname implies, a trestle for holding things. In this case, it holds Air Force bombers on its surface, which are then subjected to tremendous electromagnetic pulses, like those that might be released in a nuclear explosion. You just park your strategic Air Command B-52 Stratofortress on the trestle, and you crank up the 200-gigawatt pulsed marks generator mounted conveniently above that surface, and you're able to test the EMP readiness of your bomber under actual real-world nuclear exchange conditions. This testing requires precision measurements, so the structure is made of entirely EMP transparent materials. At 180 meters tall, Atlas I is the biggest wood glue laminate structure on the planet. There's no metal at all in that enormous lattice or the surface that the aircraft sit on. It's all Douglas fir and southern yellow pine because those woods have the highest EMP transparency. Even the bolts and nuts holding the whole thing together are made of fiberglass. While your B-52 is being so rigorously tested, you yourself will be fine because you'll be off to the side of the trestle, sitting quietly in a wedge-shaped steel building with its exterior covered with a wire mesh Faraday cage to stop the EMP from blasting you or your gear. The fire escape outside that wedge, that's fiberglass too. Atlas I is a striking structure, spindly as a roller coaster, while also seeming imposing and strong. That's because of the enormous amount of wood involved in it. Carl Baum was the nuclear scientist who designed Atlas I. He said that it took one or two months of the national lumber output from the Northwest and Georgia to make the glue laminated structural members. It took the Air Force about eight years, from 72 to 1980, to build the trestle, which is a bit surprising given its size. They shut it down in 1991. Computer modeling, by then, had become a cheaper and much safer method of modeling EMP blast effects. The Air Force also reportedly shut down the fire sprinkler system in 1991, too. This has some looming consequences for Atlas I. In the trestle's 11 years of operation and its subsequent 30 sitting derelict, all that dug fir and that southern yellow pine has dried out, rendering the structure a fire hazard. There are efforts in place to give the trestle a national landmark status, and in fact it is marked as such when you view it from Google Earth, but it's not really clear how that would play out given that the Atlas I is on secure Air Force land. It seems likely that someday it will burn and collapse. Until then, I remember another thing Carl Baum said of Atlas One: "You don't look at it; it looks at you." <laughs> I, uh, I think, I think the fire danger is over overstated, just because there's nothing around it, right? Like, what would it, it would burn? It certainly but, would burn. But it's not like there's a bunch of buildings too close. Yeah, to it. that that's right. That's right. And it's nestled into kind of an arroyo, but. It, you know, it's it's a fuel source. Let's put it right. that way. Right. And were it to light to light up, I, I think that it would probably burn uncontrollably and very huh. uh, seriously for a while. Is my impression. Very dramatic. Yeah, I've seen it from a commercial airplane before. It's it's big. It's like really noticeable. It's yeah. very very landscape. noticeable. Uh, and and, and uh, this is something again you can see on Google Earth. And, right. Uh, it's it's kind of a fun thing to look at. If you're looking out the window as you fly over Albuquerque. And you look at the 
kind of southeastern portion of the city, mm-hmm. there will be a thing there. Then you say to yourself, what is that thing? And that's Atlas One. So, um, yeah. in fact, a lot of uh, Kirtland Air Force Base has just like random weird structures oh, yeah. that yeah. you can see from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when, have you been to the Trinity site? Uh, not yet. Okay. If you drive out there on the one or two days of the year that it's open, depending on the year, it's either one or two days, uh, and you go on to, uh, on to the Air Force Base there, there are just all these weird structures looming in the distance, oh, yeah. you know, clearly not, not having been used for you know, decades at least, if not you know, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, very odd things. So. Wow. All right. Well, really so interesting. We, shall we continue on? Yeah. While we're on the topic of huge monolithic structures of science, I have to bring up the star axis quite possibly the most important place I can't get to, at least important to me. If you drive towards the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, towards Anton Chico, you will find the Chupinus Mesa. Atop this mesa is a naked eye observatory called the Star Axis. Your first view of the Star Axis will be a massive, massive wedge of concrete stuck into a half-globe structure jutting out the edge of a solitary mesa. The wedge of concrete will gradually resolve itself into an enormous staircase that leads upwards out of that half-globe, which you find is hollow. At first, you think it could be a dam, but there's clearly no water. Then it could be an auditorium or an arena, but there's no place for crowds. What it is is an astronomical compass. When you walk up those stairs and gaze upwards, the globe frames larger and larger swaths of sky. Each is centered on Polaris, which always appears fixed as the North Star. This walk up the stairs gives you the scope of Polaris's path through time, from past to future. Star Axis was built by a man named Charles Ross in the 1960s. Ross was part of the same land art movement that brought us two other places you can, in fact, get to. That's the Lightning Field and the Dwan Light Gallery in Las Vegas. Star Axis is still in development, with Ross in something that he calls finishing mode. The building itself is complete, but there are no safety rails, and the high falls and the pitch blackness of the Star Axis make it perilous. And you can't get to the Star Axis. It's on private land, the sort of private land you enter at the risk of being shot at. I sent an email to the Star Axis folks a year ago to request a tour, but I didn't hear back. Lightning Field is something that we've we've mentioned before. So that, that was the same artist or just the same No, movement? this is the same movement. This is an okay. era that brought a lot of people who land were art. really interested in, in, in land and, and light and lightning and the sky mm. and finding ways to frame those things and organize those things in beautiful ways. And how upsetting to, to be denied access because of safety railings. It, it really <laughs> was upsetting. This was the first, first of the places I couldn't get to that I was turned away uh-huh. from bad idea to continue any further yeah uh, and then turning around private mode it's never advancing it, it hasn't finished yet and, huh. and theoretically you can if you hmm. offer tours but but i don't think that they're prepared to do that yet huh. and this uh okay so the dewan light sanctuary is by the same artist right charles ross is is that correct uh, it features charles ross's prism work I okay guess. Huh. so maybe not the whole thing 
Okay, so that's in uh, in Las Vegas, New Mexico, and you can go there. And uh, did you say that you've been there, Regis? That's right. I've been to the Duan Light Century. What's that like? It's a uh, bright. It's a, I suppose it's a semi-religious spiritual space. Oh. It's kind of a large, um, um, asymmetrical uh, open room hmm. with a bit of organic architecture. And then I'm also reminded of that guy who digs caves up in northern New Mexico, oh, yeah. um, which I don't think any of those are open to the public. Like, you can't just walk in. I have tried to get there. You have? I've turned away. How'd that go? We, we could not find them. You couldn't find them? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I know at least one of them's like a bed and breakfast. Like, you can mm-hmm. um, spend way too much money to go, like, stay in one. But And there are concerts that happen in, in them once in a while. I was yeah. invited to a three-string bail concert a long time ago, an Americana concert there and i just couldn't make it but yeah but uh that it's so cool some guy that's just randomly carved out <laughs> caverns and yep in uh, volcanic tuft or something yeah there was a great yeah. uh like a documentary about him oh huh. uh fairly recently huh. all right what do, what do you got for us next so far i've mentioned three monoliths they're big imposing buildings that you can see from miles around the next place i can't get to isn't as visibly imposing This is Trementina Base. It's actually kind of hard to see from the ground, but you are meant to be able to see it from space. This is the Church of Scientology's library vault, housing Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard's writings on several million stainless steel discs and several hundred thousand full nickel records. Managed by the Church of Scientology's Center for Spiritual Technology, This massive archive is meant to last a very, very long time and to be accessed by space-born individuals seeking Hubbard's words far in the future. So the archive itself is marked with several gigantic ground etchings visible from space, somewhat like the Nazca lines in Peru. Despite these orbital advertisements, the Church of Scientology has been extremely protective of releasing knowledge of Trementina Base here on Earth. When news broke of a land transfer in the 1990s, the Church got fairly litigious in suppressing information about the site. What we know about Trementina Base is that there was an initial purchase in 1986, that the base includes dwellings, a network of tunnels, and has a private airstrip. Or at least it did. The Church of Scientology exchanged part of its parcel with the U.S. government in exchange with land not far away in 1992. It's not really clear what parts of the original base have been transferred to the new site and what parts remain. But those enormous symbols remain visible on Google Earth, just north of a zigzagged road going from the base site to its airport. The shapes include a rather nice set of overlapping circles embedded with diamonds, This is the Church of Scientology's logo, and it beckons in Scientologists after their return home. Presumably, for me, as a non-Scientologist, this is going to remain a place I can't get to. Yeah, so to me, you know, obviously there's there's the mystery of (laughs) what's going on with the Scientologists, but what about that land swap? From what I understand, they had already started building a bunker. Yeah. I, and then I, they swapped it out. It's it's really strange. I'd, I'd really like to know what the rationale behind that, who pushed that, 
why that happened because it seems like the two parcels from what I could find are, are virtually functionally identical. Um, they're, they're next to each other. There's no size difference. Uh, As far as I could see, it's not real clear to me. I just wonder, was the U S government like, Hey, maybe we can get a already built like (laughs) underground base here, which we can use for our genetic experiments on uh, cat rabbits or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I wrote a Daily Lobo piece on this a long time ago, and I got more hate mail from Scientologists than I've ever gotten on any piece I've ever written. Like I, I was kind of mean. In it yeah, too. I was gonna say, like, I don't think you were just like super, <laughs> but uh, respectful of the Scientologists well, because religion. it's so ridiculous. So the symbol, <laughs> Elf, you know, what's his name? Um, L. Ron, L. Ron Hubbard. Hubbard. He um, he, you know, he claimed that these were like divinely revealed alien symbols and all that. But it's like they're so obviously based on the Lucky Strikes logo, which was his <laughs> brand of cigarettes that he smoked all the time. You know, and I mean, solar powered record players to play all the stuff. If humanity is represented by that moron, right. like after we, <laughs> like, I'm going to be really sad. Like, this is the only thing that survives. Right. But um, um, that's a strange area, that whole area. Dan, yeah, just like yeah. anywhere in northern yeah. New Mexico that you have to go down several dirt roads to get to, you're going to find something very strange. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> and there, they probably would, you know. Um, I, I would think you'd be taking your life in your own hands if you tried to get too close to Probably, that yeah. yeah. Yeah, your life, your legal standing, you know, your ability to, to live without... And your future mail. reincarnations for the next million years, probably. Something like that. Yeah. It's definitely at play here. <laughs> okay. Wow. So next one. Keep going on this straight. In all honesty, I don't really want to go to Tremontina Base. It sounds claustrophobic, it sounds <laughs> scary, and it sounds litigious. <laughs> Another scary place that might get me subject or you subject to litigation is Site Able, which you might know as existing in the foothills in the Manzano Mountains, just east of Sandia Base. They stored part of the American atomic stockpile there for 40 years. That portion has since been moved to a more modern underground complex at Kirtland Air Force Base. Site Able also had an emergency presidential command outpost there intended for President Eisenhower. That shelter was made useless when the U.S. and the world upgraded their arsenals from atomic to nuclear weapons. The first weapons stored at Site Able were Mark V atomic bombs. They look like smaller versions of the Fat Man device dropped on Nagasaki. They're fat, finned, and snub-nosed. Mark V's, which require assembly, were stored without their plutonium, separated from their fuel source by steel gates that led to a hallway that contained four separate chambers. Inside each chamber was a protective container called a birdcage, and each of those birdcages had enough plutonium for a single atomic warhead. I do wonder what those birdcages looked like. Were they steel frames? Were they solid metal? Were they a fine mesh? Who knows? Site Able was deactivated in 1992 with those old tunnels and presumably those chambers that hold those mysterious bird cages put to use storing documents, surplus equipment, and furniture. In 1950, a B-29 bomber taking off from Kirtland crashed into the Manzanos and the 13 crew members on board all died. That bomber was carrying an atomic bomb, which had been fully assembled, both its detonator and its fuel installed. The plutonium had escaped the birdcage. It could have exploded. 
It didn't. That's life. <laughs> Site Able is for me a, is less a thwarted destination than the disused room of a house I don't live in anymore. It's a less a place I want to go than a place I can't go and where no one should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my grandfather used to point that out huh. from the plane, I remember, because huh. he, he worked on Mark V's. Huh. Um, so presumably he had been there at different points. Yeah. I, this is, even though I have no desire to, to visit Site April, the concept of these bunkers with these matched chambers and these almost ceremonial containers of plutonium yeah it's so vivid for me whenever i i think of it i can't i cannot get the question of of what these things look like out of my mind now is this the the four hills site that, that is you yeah, mentioned we, before? yeah, yeah okay. we did an episode on the four hills yeah yeah so there's that <laughs> that site able was kind of a part of but i feel like i've know, seen that, it in um in films, maybe. Huh. Has it been used as a film location? I, don't know. I think it's very possible, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Like, I know in the, the first Avengers movie, a lot of that was filmed in New Mexico. Oh, really? And there was sure. some underground stuff. Oh. I, thought, I wonder if that's the Four Hills. Oh, that would be amazing. How interesting. Um, place. But. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I just hate that, like, you can't go hiking there. I tried to hike to Harris Canyon its whole length once, and suddenly you're just like, nope, you can't. <laughs> like, you can't you, go there anymore. It's okay. way off limits. It's all quite blocked off. Yeah. Right. But... You know, I'd like to, you know, I'm just, I'm curious about it. There used to be like a news clip on YouTube from like an old uh, local news tour of it and it's disappeared. It's completely gone now. I remember like 15 years ago seeing that. Okay. So, hmm. All right. Awesome. I'm glad you included that. Carry on. So what about in Albuquerque proper? On the University of New Mexico's main campus, right near the intersection of University and Martin Luther King Jr., is the Estufa. It's right next to the Hibben Archaeology Building, and you'll know it because it looks curiously like a traditional kiva. Supposedly, no woman has ever seen its interior, and no non-fraternity man has either. For you see, the Estufa is kept by Pi Beta Kappa, a fraternity who have yet to open it to outsiders. A plaque on the building indicates a build date of 1906, but researchers knowledgeable in this sort of thing insist it was built in 1908. A lot of the look of the early UNM campus can be attributed to University President William Tite, who established new buildings in the Pueblo style, and he also pushed for the Greek system to be adopted by UNM. Pi Beta Kappa, or its precursor at least, was called Delightfully Alpha 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 in 1908. It was one of the first Greek societies tight introduced on campus. It might surprise you to learn that the Estufa is actually one of only two buildings on campus made of adobe. The other one is the Naval Science Building that was designed by John Gamim. In 1908, the university paper, UNM Weekly, reported that the house consists of one large elliptical room with no windows. The entrance is a large exterior staircase, which ascends to the roof, from which, through a trapdoor, steps lead down into the interior. Inside is a large fireplace of true Indian design, while the rafters and timbers above add to the effect. The whole is coated with cement, and makes an admirable imitation of the real estufa. 
The Astufa has been the subject of pranks and vandalism, especially from Sigma Chi, who are the traditional rivals of Pi Kappa Alpha. In uh, 1947, the Astufa was set on fire no less than four times. In 1958, a gas explosion damaged the Astufa, injuring five. Some real training in war for these people. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that about the naval uh, the naval building. That's the... Um, where is that even? Is that the one uh, 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 on the northern end of Central Campus? I don't know where the Naval Science Building By is. By the big parking structure? I think that's it's got big anchors outside of it. That's that, my that, guess for where that, that is. That could huh? be it. That's, that's certainly a, a Navy right. building. And then there are all kinds of rumors about the Astufa having a bunch of uh, stolen artifacts, which uh-huh. would be very in keeping with uh, with the milieu that they're going for. Sure. I was driving by it one day, and the door was wide open. And I was like, kids, we have to stop. I had all my kids in the car. And they're like, no, we're going to be late for the party. And we just we had to pass it. And I've right. never had such an opportunity ever again. I'm still kind of resentful of them. Yeah, so at some point, they, <laughs> they installed a door. Right, now that's probably a fire safety thing. Uh, I, would, I would think is that they have to have some kind of fire escape door now. Right, um, right. but on the side of it, there is actually a door that uh, okay. you know you don't have to you don't have to go in through the roof anymore. And it supposedly connects to the steam tunnels, which are another uh, secret secret site. Yeah, uh, area around there. Huh. Mm, interesting Man, mysteries. Yeah, that's cool. That's a good one. So back to Albuquerque. The Frontier Restaurant is the epicenter of everything that matters to me. And you can walk from the Frontier to this next place, which is architect Bart Prince's residence and studio on Monte Vista Boulevard. You've probably driven past it. It feels like a World's Fair structure transported to Albuquerque. It feels distinctly futuristic, although it is built out of exposed stone, wood, and weathered iron. It's very distinct, and it literally rises above the otherwise flat residences around it. As a private home, Prince's residence isn't available for civilians to access. Still, its effect is impossible to ignore. Maybe you remember Albuquerque in the 1990s, the late 1990s. It felt very different than it did now in 2020. The town felt both curiously smaller and larger then, Knob Hill was sleepier, the streets were wider, but there were fewer pedestrian amenities. Outside the university area, central to the east was miles of degrading motels. These motels were meant to be the way stations for epic citizen travel in the atomic age, but by the end of the century, they were the residences of the addicted, the exploited, and the disposable. Now those epic motels are largely gone, and the city feels like a part of the modern world, more or less, rather than being two, three, or even four decades out of touch. As the old, grimy residue of the last generation of Central is swept away, its interiors think on them for a moment. Remember Milton's on Central, the grimy, uncomfortable booths of Manny's, which has, very nicely, some of Bart Prince's work on its walls, the torn and taped chairs of Flying Star, the endless dustiness of RB Winnings. Remember the other restaurants and stores I'll never remember, all gone, in favor of places remodeled to feel as cozy as an airport. 
I wonder lately when it will be that those agents of the future who are responsible for moving our architecture forward will get their hands on strange, distinct little homes like Prince's home and studio. Hmm. Wonder if that would happen. It's uh, it's it's so it's such a part of Albuquerque's like <laughs> totally scene now. Yeah. It would surely be declared like yeah. historical or something. Yeah. But then there are a bunch of the Prince homes around town that uh, you know they might be subject to yeah. destruction. At some Certainly, point. this this could happen. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about the uh, the Bart Prince home now are the bizarre dinosaurs at the front of it. Yeah, those are particularly great things. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's like a really hard to describe home. It like I, it almost looks like a UFO landing in the trees yeah, up above you or yeah. something like that. It's so strange. Yeah. I, I think Swiss there's family. an aspect. I think there's an aspect to it where, where it, it feels, and I believe this is intentional, very unfinished, huh. which yeah. contributes huh. to the, the fact that it's hard to describe. Interesting, right? And I I love just driving through residential neighborhoods near near the kind of the center of Albuquerque. Like you will just kind of randomly stumble upon another Bart Prince design. Sure. You know, or, or part of one, like it'll be like a traditional like kind of nineteen fifties style Adobe suburb house. Mm-hmm. And then it'll just have like this weird tin structure sticking out of it right. diagonally with, you know, concrete pylons or something. Yeah, so. they, they have this glorious like tumor like quality to them. <laughs> so right. strange. And I like what you're saying about the um the past places being off limits now. Yeah. You know? Like I was in a in Manny's the other day, and you know they they've kind of they've updated a lot of uh, a lot of it now that it's got like a parquet wood floor and yeah. um, that kind of thing. And I was just remembering how it used to be. It had this really weird light fixture that would kind of have like tentacles all over the place. Like uh-huh. I don't know, there was a central hmm. light, and then there were other lights that were like connected to it, and it was yeah. you know from the seventies or something. Huh. It was yeah. very. Very de- decrepit at that point, but I, I love Manny's, but they need to update their service. I swear, like every time I'm there, it's like every time my drink gets half full. Do you want more? Do you want more? Don't ask me. Don't, like, <laughs> don't interrupt the conversation. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, we were just talking about interesting things. <laughs> sorry, yeah, no, yeah. The the way that the past seals things off is the worst, actually, because like like I always wanted to explore the old asylum here in town that was all tagged up and everything. oh the one on the north part of town yeah it's gone now yeah, yeah apparently that place I, really i was invited like six months before it was torn down to go mm. explore it and didn't and i kicked myself for that i'd love to go back yeah. into uh best price coffee and books remember that place yeah uh, it'd be interesting to see that place again yeah um yeah. they've never had really great books they were yeah. all you know definitely like the bargain bin books but yeah. um just you know it, something you said about uh Albuquerque's like the way they service was back then. Uh-huh. Like it was just like places were more openly hostile to customers back then. I think. Like, you don't see that so much anymore. <laughs> Probably for the best. Yeah, we we could do a, a whole series of nostalgic episodes if we wanted to. All the lost, wonderful bookstores yeah. and record stores and little dives and stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. I see. Uh, I see the Bank of the West building is the next one. That's right. And, and you know, this is the, the final place I can't get to in New Mexico. And I suppose, theoretically, I could go. Mm. I think Ty perhaps has visited this place. Yeah. But a, a deep instinct stops me from, visit, from <laughs> visiting. This is the Bank of the West Tower, which we know of as the tallest building outside of downtown Albuquerque. I've always enjoyed this building visually. 
17 stories is a pretty respectable height for a tower, and it's a beautiful product of its time, 1961. Poured concrete and girders, white paint and tinted glass, gold ceramic tiles, and gold aluminum screens all over its exterior. That ceramic has real gold in it, baby. <laughs> and it shines gorgeously in the afternoon sun, and it always has, and I presume it always will. But the beauty of the Bank of the West in the afternoon sun is a product of its failure. If the numerous developments to add further towers near the Bank of the West Tower had succeeded, its beauty would probably be lost to us. But for now, its solitude is bright, powerful, and failed. So when the Bank of the West Tower was established, um, it held a bank at the bottom. And at the top, it had a two-story social club. The Albuquerque Journal described it as housing a continental dining room, a lounge, a stag club, a barbershop, and a beauty shop, two saunas, exercise rooms, a gym, and finally a 4,000-square-foot deck atop the roof just for dancing and sunbathing. Quite a set of amenities... But there were no takers. A lack of income closed the club in 1965, not long after it opened. For a while, the two stories that had made up the club were penthouses. And I think they still are. You might remember the Bank of the West building as the Bank of America building, or even further back as the First National building. Each of those places has moved on or failed in one way or another. The fact that banks have to sell their buildings to other banks, almost cyclically, it appeals to me. <laughs> I like to think about the failed empty buildings that fill our lives in New Mexico as, as kind of foreshocks for the impending failure of our society. And when I see that golden tower shine in the evening with the name of a brand new bank on it, I have everything I want in life. A beautiful, shiny failure. So what have I learned from these places you can't get to? I'm not sure. But I've learned that I don't think I can bring myself to ever enter the Bank of the West Tower. I've tried before, and for one reason or another, I've always been unable to. I think there's an Albuquerque in my head, and it tells me not to go. I've learned to respect this sort of primal avoidance neurosis because I think it's been taught to me by Albuquerque. And without Albuquerque, who would I be? Who are you? <laughs> Whatever I am is a product of having lived in Albuquerque. True. In, in every possible way. I, I want to know. I had no idea. There was a dance space up on top of the of the building i had no idea that's right the the top deck was was a massive i mean four thousand square feet is huge yeah i don't know what to compare that to but it's very very large was it open air on the roof i i believe it was on the roof I, I have to imagine it was it was partially open air and partially mm. uh, covered as well well i do have to say as you mentioned i have been to the the top floor of that building same um I don't think you're supposed to yeah, go. Right. <laughs> but yeah, one day I was just, I was, uh, there's like a DMV down there that, that uh, 
you can't really get your license at, but I thought maybe you could. <laughs> so, um, like, it's only for, like, changes of address or something <laughs> insane. But uh, while I was there, I was like, well, let's just see what happens if I, you know, push the elevator button all the way to the top. And so I went all the way to the top. And that's not the top floor. The, the elevator yeah. stops before that 17, point. Right? right. So you get off there. And then you're like, well, this doesn't seem like we're on the top yet. And then there are stairs going uh-huh. up. And uh, so I took the stairs up and I walked out and basically walked into somebody's living room. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh. Someone is know. squatting there because they don't lock it. Yeah, like, it's it's so, not locked. Yeah, and they throw crazy trashy parties. I went there once with my kid, and there was there was just beer cans everywhere. There was a Karma Sutra manual oh, over there on a, a weight fun, bench or something like that. Fun thing to unexpectedly explain yeah, to the kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that is. Um, the, um, yeah, but it's it's you know that was a building. It was designed from Flatow and Moore's um, architectural firm, and and uh, Moore, I think it was Moore. No, it was Flatow. Who he was the the lead designer for the um, the the uh, Manhattan Project oh, and designed all the buildings there. And then he also or his firm later did um, the Marriott Building in 1982 that we drive by all the time on the freeway. And so mm. when I look at those buildings, knowing, the pyramid one? Uh, no, 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 the other no. one uh, that, that's closer to like uh, One World Center over by I-40 in Louisiana. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> the big white Marriott yeah, yeah. with the red sign. Right. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's it. You could almost think of these buildings as as like mushroom clouds, all, you know, like uh-huh. some, something else uh-huh. coming up out of the ground from these people that were instrumental in this world-ending technology and all that. And so much of our history and these secret places are all tied up in that that culture. There's yeah. a in your research for this, and this was a, a great piece, by the way. Thank you so much for bringing this to our show, man. Well, That's thank awesome. you for having me. This is so great. And um, in your research, did you come across a book called Top Secret Tourism that has some sections on New Mexico? In no, it? I can't uh, say I did. I think I think you covered everything that that, that book found uh, from New Mexico. But but uh, that yeah, that it's really interesting because we live with this stuff, and it's just like, well, I guess we can never go see that. Yeah, it's can't here. Go there. You know? And it it is qualitatively different than than living in oh, yeah. say Minnesota, right, um, <laughs> right, or or, right. or or Washington State. Although yeah. there's probably places you can't go to in Washington State too, but there's something about New Mexico. There's a feeling like you should be able to get everywhere. Like huh. that's, that's true. Huh. In the West, you should have absolute freedom. Well, yeah. there's the there's the big sky, yeah. and you know there's not a lot blocking your view, and yeah. it just feels like anything that you can see you should be a, you should be allowed to go walk yeah. to. Or, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> so what's your uh, what would be your choice for some place to go, Mike? That you I, are not I, allowed to I, go to. I want to go in the Glorietta Beer Factory. I've, oh, I've, yeah. I've wanted to go in there forever just because it's such a beautiful red brick building yeah. and with, it still has its paint on it from 100 years ago and you know and I think it's owned by the uh, Maloof family right it so, is yeah. I think there's talk of restoring it and turning huh. it into a restaurant or something like Some that right now so maybe you'll get your chance yeah I guess so <laughs> <laughs> yeah careful what you wish for so right no, no, <laughs> and uh, so out of those places which is the one that you would go to Ruzi's the, the one that I would choose yeah, to you go to. choose one of those you get to go to. It would definitely be Star Atlas. Huh. Star, or Star Axis. Excuse me. I'm amazing. confusing Star Axis and Atlas one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Star Axis, it's it's really a gorgeous structure. And, mm-hmm. and it really uh, has a, a, a quality to it that's difficult to explain. Yeah. It feels, when you see it, it looks ceremonial. It looks religious. Yeah. It looks like a special building. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it would be truly special to, be. to to uh, look at the sky yeah. through it. Very cool. Good choice. I feel like some of these places, um, some of the places you can't go to, it's sort of 
oddly comforting to not be able to go to them. Yeah, well, Trementina Bays. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> but I was thinking one that I don't hold in, in a sort of contempt, but like a um, like a Pueblo Kiva, like a real yeah. ceremonial Kiva. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really glad those exist. And I'm okay with not going there. But there's something about like having that Having this, having these parts of New Mexico that I can't experience, hmm. in a way, gives it a certain depth. Maybe absolutely, I agree. There, there's yeah. something very uh, powerful about having places that are uh, uh, secret yeah. to, for 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 reasons that are not terrifying. <laughs> right? Yeah, it doesn't have to do with anything that can kill you. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Another one for me in this area is Coyote Springs, the little town in the Manzanos yeah. that you can't get to because it's all in Kirtland land now. And, right. But it's like a ghost town that's just totally left there. There's a school. There, They had a bottling plant. There was an there. artesian well yeah. there that you they would yeah. sell water from. I've seen pictures, and it's like there's structures that are totally intact. And uh, it's like – but it's – yeah, you could do a whole – Article on just the things that Kirtland has made. And and when was when was this, this this town made into uh, a town? I think it was late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen okay. hundreds. Yeah. But it's it's yeah. on Kirtland now. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's like right outside of uh, of uh, Site Abel. Interesting. I believe hmm. that it's right uh-huh. on there. Yeah, that so makes sense. You don't get to go there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Coyote Springs Road in Carnwell that just ends at a gate, and it's like. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Can't go there. Yeah. You ever uh, accidentally drive onto the base recently? No. Can you do that? Is it possible? I've, I've, yeah. You really? can accidentally. You can take well, a wrong I mean, turn. Oh, really? Yeah, exactly. Which is what we did. We were, oh. I can't remember what yeah. we were looking for. We just uh, wound up going too far south on Louisiana or huh. something. And uh, Oh, we were trying to get to the dog park. There's a dog park that's like right next to Kirtland Air Force Base. Oh, so yeah. we wound up getting turning. And then you're not supposed to turn around. The, the guard has to like come out. And walk in front of your car while you do a U-turn uh, in order to leave the base. <laughs> Very odd. Wow. <clears throat> I'm really intrigued by that Tramontina base too. I would. Uh, I'm, that would be really interesting to. Yeah, definitely. See, that whole area is very weird. Uh, my, yes. My first camping trip as a 13-year-old was at Con- Lake Conscious. That's right by there, the reservoir. That's oh. kind of kind of near. And that whole area is super weird. They they told us all that the previous year they had canceled camp because a kid had disappeared and then turned up naked on a cliff. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. That, that's a, that's a very strange. Like, <laughs> with no memory. Like, of I would assume they were lying, but that like, just seems yeah. like such an absurd thing. Yeah, I'm like, an I absurd it. story that it. it Maybe it is true. Something, probably more of a diabetic episode or something <laughs> than something else. But yeah, wow. That's, well, thank you, Rujis, so much for uh, uh, telling us about all the places we can't go. Yeah. You're welcome, Ty. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be back on City on, yeah. City on the Edge. So and it was really Albuquerque centric, too. I, like that, that's yeah. great. You found a ton of stuff around here. Very cool. So, yeah, well, hopefully we'll uh, chat with you again sometime soon. Too. Oh, do you have anything you want to promote or? people to uh, no no okay right. wow the rare do what you will with your life people <laughs> yeah. Regis gives you his permission yeah. <laughs> you can stop by uh, stop by Regis's house here on Silver Avenue and he'll, he'll cook you some dinner 